We're, in, uh, we're back in Mark's Gospel. We were in Mark uh, in November, and then my family and I took a, a week vacation, and Pastor Rick brought a message, and then we turned the corner into the Christmas season. And so it's been quite a while since we were in Mark's Gospel, but we're in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2, picking, picking right back up where we left off in November. So Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. And at the the time of the publishing of your bulletin, I, I thought I was going to be able to make it through verse 6 of chapter 3, but we're actually going to go through verse 28 of chapter 2 this morning. And the title of this Lord of the message this morning is Freed by the Lord of the Sabbath. Freed by the Lord of the Sabbath. Hear now the word of God. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields, meaning Jesus, on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except for the priests, and he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Would you bow with me? God, we ask that you would help us to, to take these verses this morning and to internalize them. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding uh, of the meaning of the text. And then that you would, Spirit of God, that you would take what the text means and that you would apply it to our individual lives, to our corporate lives. God, that we would have greater understanding of the fact that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. We ask it in his name. Amen. So welcome back to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2, from the, from the beginning of chapter 2 and continuing through about the first paragraph of chapter 3, Jesus' authority is being questioned. And the questions of his authority are being amplified as we progress through the chapter. You recall in verse 7 of chapter 2, he's asked, he, Jesus is asked, how can he claim to forgive sins? In verse 16 of chapter 2, why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then in verse 18 of chapter 2, why aren't his disciples fasting? In other words, Jesus, just who do you think you are? Coming and messing with our traditions and not doing the things that we do. And the answer that Jesus gives us is that he is the Son of Man. In verse 10 and in 11 and then in these verses as well. In verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Son of Man prophesied in Daniel 14, who has a forever share in the Father's divine authority and in His power. In Christ, God has come as the Son of Man to rescue the sons of men. This is the message He's, he's giving to us. Both sinners who act like God has no law and sinners who have fallen into the trap of missing the point of the law. And the point of the law was to show us our need for a Savior, not to make us think we could earn or deserve God's salvation. There was perhaps no better example of how the intent of the law had been undermined and messed up than the law of the Sabbath. As Edwards writes, two observances above all 
defined Jewish people and set them apart from all the other nations, circumcision and the Sabbath, which extended from sunset Friday until sunset Saturday. Sabbath means simply seventh, right? It's the seventh day. It's the day that God rested in creation. It, it comes to be identified with the concept of rest, God's Sabbath rest. It's the fourth and the longest of the Ten Commandments. It commanded the Israelites to do all their work in six days and no work on Saturday. God commanded the Israelites to keep the Sabbath because it would reveal their need for an even greater Sabbath. A Sabbath that we had to leave in the garden. A Sabbath not unlike the very first Sabbath day when God Himself rested in six days, he created an ideal environment for Adam and Eve to worship him. It's interesting. If you, if you look at the Hebrew language in Genesis 1 and 2, and then you look at the Hebrew language about the construction of the tabernacle, and then the construction of the temple, very similar terminology is used. It's almost as if God is saying that he, in the making of a garden for Adam and Eve, is making a temple or a tabernacle, a place for the perfect worship of God, that they fail to honor him in, and so they must leave that place. And we're yearning and looking for the place where we can again worship God completely, wholly, totally, for the Great tabernacle, temple, garden of God, and that, as we know, is Christ. So on the Sabbath, God rests from His completed and creative work. Of course, He's still at work, right? When God stops working, He's, he's not not working, right? I mean, He's holding the universe together. In Him, all things consist. But the Sabbath day is the day that God's creative work was complete. And He completely gives Himself over to His People for their enjoyment and their worship. Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. But because of their sinful rebellion, Adam and Eve and the future of humanity with them, you and me, we had to leave the garden and the Sabbath rest of God. Adam would now eat not by the restful work of serving God in the garden, but by the painful, sweaty toiling among the weeds and the thorns and the thistles in the wilderness. But it would not be this way forever. The curse would be reversed when a son was sent. Sabbath would come again in the person of God's son. So for the people of Israel, observing the Sabbath was a weekly day of rest, pointing us forward to the forever rest for which we were created and to which we would be restored when God's son came to rescue us. This is why, of all the Ten Commandments, very interesting point this morning, Sabbath observance is the only of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated in the New Testament. You can find all of the Ten Commandments in the New Testament except the command to Sabbath. Because Christ Himself is our Sabbath rest. Not just one day a week, but every day of the week. He delivers us from the fading motivation of rule-keeping to the restful confidence, joy, and devoted service that comes from knowing what Christ has done for us is what we could not do for ourselves. For the Christian then, Sabbath is a daily disposition and a daily discipline that comes through our union with the Lord of the Sabbath. But the Pharisees had made a great deal of work out of not working. Do you like that? I like that. A day of rest had become a day of endless regulations. 
While the Bible said that you couldn't harvest on the Sabbath, they faulted Jesus' disciples for plucking enough food for a little snack. They forbid people from walking more than 99 paces because it would constitute traveling. Guess you can't go to church on Sunday. At least the pastor can't. I'll walk more than 1,999 paces from here to the gym and back. And I always forget my mic pack for the second service, so I'm, I'm a Sabbath violator apparently. Some forbid even the carrying of children, giving of help to birthing animals, or the retrieval of an animal fallen into a pit. If someone dislocated their shoulder on the Sabbath day, God helped them. It could not be reset until the next day because it was not a life-threatening injury. The Pharisees had reversed the purpose of the Sabbath, turning God's gift into a burden. But now the Lord of the Sabbath, in verse 28, comes to show us that we can really cease our striving under a weight of burden when we follow Him and receive Him as our rest. You see, when Jesus comes, Sabbath has come. Jesus made Sabbath. And He is what Sabbath anticipates. Rest must come from God Himself. It's not something that we can manufacture or create. And God has come for us in Christ to give us His entrance into His rest. So what does that mean for us practically? Now that was a a long introduction, but I wanted you to get your hands and hooks around the Sabbath. But here's really the two things that we see in this text this morning in anticipation of receiving the Lord's Supper. First, the authoritative presence of Jesus. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's kind of like the police officer is to the speed limit. There are times that the police officer can go above the speed limit because he's the police officer. Jesus is the lawgiver, right? And he knows the point of the law. And he is the giver of the law and he's the fulfiller of the law. He is the authority on the meaning and the intent of the law. The authoritative presence of Jesus with his disciples means, number one, we must not be slaves to legalism. And second, we must let Jesus be our provision and our defense. First, we must not be slaves to legalism. Now, I want to take a brief moment to speak to two things, two errors in the life of the church. One is the error of lawlessness, which is the exact opposite of legalism. And one is the error of legalism. Are, Are you hanging on with me this morning? The gospel destroys both lawlessness and legalism. And churches tend to go in one of those two directions and miss the freedom that the gospel gives. The the lie of lawlessness says, God makes no claims on my life. Or, God only makes claims on my life that I already agree with, find easier, want to do. We call this making Jesus in our image rather than us being conformed to the image of Christ. The Jesus that I worship is the Jesus that's convenient. I do whatever I want to do and I say I belong to Jesus. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus and I do whatever I want to Monday through Saturday. I might show up on Sunday if I feel like it, but that's my Jesus. This is the Jesus who is not the Jesus of the Bible because Jesus is Lord. He has absolute authority over the Christian. He deserves our total allegiance, and through Jesus, He gives us the power together to keep His commandments. That's what a church should be. A covenant community of people who have been supernaturally transformed on the inside by Christ. We come together and we voluntarily agree. No one made us. 
The Spirit of God compelled us to encourage one another to live out what Paul calls the law of Christ in Galatians 6.2 through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. We are a supernaturally... May it be said of North Roanoke Baptist Church that we are this sentence. That we are a supernaturally transformed community who is absolutely riveted in mind and action to the mission of displaying and declaring the glory of Christ in all the world. And if the conversation doesn't have something to do with that, if you can't directly tie what it is your agenda is and what you want to do back to that right there, then why are we talking about it? All it will do is sow discord and division and derail the mission of the people of God, which is that... To be supernaturally transformed, united in mission, declaring the glory of Christ in all the world, period. But how can we tell if we're doing this? That's the problem. So much of the law of Christ is invisible. Pray, meditate, believe, proclaim, invite, do not worry, do not dwell, give, take captive evil thoughts. So much of what we're supposed to do in honoring Christ, you can't measure it. And we don't like it when you can't measure progress. We don't like not being able to measure things. And so what we end up doing is either we accept lawlessness and we say, well, we throw up our hands, you can't measure it, so y'all just come on Sunday and we don't care what you live like the rest of the week. We don't care what your passion is. You just bring whatever you want to into the church. Bring whatever agenda, whatever ambition, and just... We'll get together like a country club and we'll pacify everybody's little pet project and that's what we'll do and we'll get together and we'll call it a church. But really, it's lawlessness. That's one option. The other option is legalism. And that's what Jesus is addressing in this verse or in these verses. And legalism, the lie of legalism says what we have in God's Word is insufficient. We need more rules. We need more regulations and benchmarks that we can measure so we can prove that we've done enough to earn God's favor. It it takes our eyes off of God as the source of His favor, and it takes our eyes off of His gracious gift in the name of serving God. I I recently read an article on a website called the Babylon Bee. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Babylon Bee, but it's, it's called Christian Satire. Now, I don't know if you know what satire is, but it it makes a point that stings a little bit through satire. And and I I don't know if you're familiar with the Fitbit. Does everybody know what a Fitbit is? A little thing you can wear on your hand that tracks your paces and your steps and your heart rate. Some people are showing me theirs right now and how much sleep you got. You can track all sorts of things. And this, this satirical article, so it's not true, but this article of satire said, Lifeway releases their new spiritual development Fitbit. Here's what the spiritual development Fitbit tracks. The number of Bible pages you turn every day. How many hands you shook in church each Sunday. How long you reflected on your sins before you partook of the Lord's Supper. Your heart rate during Sunday's sermon. How long your hands are folded in prayer each day. Your altruistic activities. The number of gospel tracts that you passed out each day. And the number of words you typed on the internet arguing with atheists. You see, like the people building a tower to Babel, in our flesh, we want to be good enough to earn our way to God by what we do, or in the case of the Sabbath, by what we do not do. When we operate under legalism, rather than as grateful recipients of God's grace, we feel like we need to be able to do something to prove ourselves and to others that we have earned God's favor, that we're in. Look at all the stuff I did. 
Here's what Danny Aiken writes about legalism. Legalism is raising to the level of biblical mandate and command what God has neither commanded nor prohibited in His Word. It's characterized by looking for the shortcomings in others rather than in oneself. It reinforces feelings of spiritual superiority and elitism that are man-centered rather than Christ-centered. And what do the Pharisees ask of Jesus? Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? To them, picking a little bit of grain on the run was the equivalent of reaping a harvest. Earlier, when the Pharisees have a question about Jesus, they ask His disciples in the story before this one. Now, when they have a question about His disciples, they ask Jesus. Legalism and gossip go hand in hand. Right? You're always looking to be one-upping somebody else. And so when the Pharisees want to question Jesus, they go to His disciples. Why? To sow a little doubt. When they want to question the disciples, they go to Jesus. Why? To sow a little doubt. They're creators of discord within the family of faith. It's what self-justifying legalists do. They would rather sow discord than lose control. They would rather embarrass or use Jesus for their own agenda than surrender to Him and the agenda of Christ made known in all the world. But Jesus cuts through the criticisms that have nothing to do with honoring God by replacing the deadness of legalism with Himself, our Sabbath rest. As Aiken writes, I love this, Jesus' liberating vision of the Sabbath frees us from the legalistic constraints instead of binding us with unbearable burdens. Having Jesus as our rest does not mean that we do nothing, but it does mean we stop beating ourselves up for not doing everything that all the world wants us to do. And we look to Christ alone. We allow Jesus to guide us as we see His needs in the church to where and when and how we should serve Him at every season and stage of life. And He can do this because Jesus, not the Pharisees, is the lawgiver and the law interpreter. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath is not something we do for God. It is something that God has given to us, His people. And we can have it every day because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And He has come to give us rest from the slavery of dead legalism. But secondly, we must let Jesus be our provision and our defense. When we feel attacked by thoughts that suggest things like, I'm not doing enough. Or thoughts like, I'm doing more than you are. We really need to check our motivation for what we're doing at all. Our motivation must not be the appearance of godliness, but that we are walking with Christ and feasting upon Him. I ran cross-country in high school, and I love to run. I absolutely loved it. Or so I thought. I mean, really, I did. 3 o'clock every day, school's out, except for that one year that we had to extend to 3.14 because we had so much snow, they added 14 minutes to the school day to make up because they ran out of days to make it up. It's the craziest thing ever. But, but I, I used to love, as soon as that last school bell rang and I got out of that miserable AP biology class and I ran down and I got to the locker room and I got ready to run and I was out there and ready to go. And then I, I graduated high school and I didn't run. Because what was really motivating my joy in running, though I thought it was the running, it was actually the fellowship. The camaraderie. The team. And when my buddies went off to terrible places like UVA, or 
Radford and they weren't at Virginia Tech. I didn't run anymore. I didn't have the set time, I didn't have the structure, and most importantly, I didn't have the friends. Legalism's a bit like that. You're never going to keep the law of Christ if your motivation is simply doing the law. You will keep the law of Christ when you have fellowship and fraternity and accountability and a fullness that comes from knowing and walking and getting up with day by day with Jesus Christ your Lord, the Lord of Sabbath. To the mom struggling with a job and laundry and house cleaning and meal preparation and diet and exercise and having any sort of meaningful interaction with Christians, how much of what you are beating yourself up over is actually God demanding of you? How much of what you're doing and doing it perfectly really fills your, fills your life with meaning and joy? Don't miss the opportunities like the disciples in this passage, to eat of God's grain as you follow Jesus in, da in daily life. Some of you this morning are, are starving. You're enslaved by expectations that Jesus has not placed upon you. You're ignoring His power to do the things that He does have in store for you. Jesus says it's okay to have joy. It's okay to feast upon Him as you walk through life. It's okay to take your sins and your cares and your struggles and your burdens to Him anytime you need and let Him be your Sabbath rest. The Lord of the Sabbath will defend you from the requirements that He has not given and He will fill you every step of the way. Notice, Jesus comes to the defense of those who are His. His disciples are questioned and Jesus comes to their defense. As Edwards writes, the Pharisees' complaint had been about Jesus' disciples, but Jesus answers on their behalf. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the defender of those who follow Him? It's not what anybody else thinks of you. It's not what the pastor thinks of you. It's not what your Sunday school teacher thinks of you. The, ultimately, the person that you want to please is the one that you long to be with, the King of glory, the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And if He's satisfied with you, there's no satisfaction like that, and there's nothing that anybody can take from you. And He answers their question and their attack all, the way that all questions and all attacks upon God's people should be answered. With the Word of God. Brother Daniel, I think we should do this. Brother Daniel, I think we should do that. Show me in God's Word how it helps us glorify Christ and make His name and His mission known among the nations. Take me back to the Word of Christ. Jesus asked the Pharisees, Have you never read? What a stinging rebuke for the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees. They, they think they know the book forward and backward. And Jesus says, Haven't you read the Bible? Ouch. And then He reminds them of a fascinating story recorded in 1 Samuel 21 where David is on the run from King Saul. David has been anointed. He's going to be the king, but King Saul is still in power, and Saul is trying to attack and overthrow and ultimately to kill David, who is going to be king. And he's on the run, and he's out of food, and the, the small band of men who are with David and loyal to David don't have any nutrition, and they go to the tabernacle, and they say to the priest, we don't have anything to eat. And the priests say, well, all we have is the bread of presence, the showbread. Twelve loaves for the twelve tribes of Israel placed on the altar Sabbath after Sabbath to demonstrate that one day 
God would come and be bread for his people. And so David has no other hope for nourishment. And he's on the run for his life. And the priest allows him to take of the bread. Even though it was bread only for the priests. And then David takes the bread that he's been given and he shares it with his men. The priests only ask one question. Are you holy? Have you been undefiled with women? He asked them. And what we find in this passage is a symbolic portrayal of the fact that one would come who would be a holy king, who would be qualified to partake of the bread forever, and he would share it with those who run with him. Christ is the king greater than David, who is the bread of God's presence, the one who wants to fill us with the bread of his sufficiency. Why? So that we might rest from our striving as we feast on him. He's not only the king who can partake of God's bread and share it with his disciples, he's also the great high priest who is Himself the bread of life, offering His body in our place, filling us with the sufficiency of His sin-conquering sacrifice day by day. I can't think of a more appropriate reminder as we begin to partake of the Lord's Supper and as I invite our deacons to make preparations to serve than that Jesus is the Lord of Sabbath. Let's not in 2018 be slaves to legalism. But let's instead be filled up day by day with Jesus, the Lord of Sabbath, the rest and bread for our souls as we follow Him to the cross, dying to ourselves daily so that we may be alive in Christ and that all the world may know He is the Lord of Sabbath, our God, our provision, our rest. Would you bow with me? King Jesus, we we come to you now and we confess that as we turn the corner from the holiday season into 2018, that it is easy to busy ourselves with doing good and to miss the opportunity to feast upon the one who is good. So God, I, I pray that as we as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper this this morning. God, that you would visit us with a, a fresh awareness of the rest that you came to give us. Lord, that where we where we have sin either of pride or God's sin of despair, Lord, that you would remind us of your goodness and fill us up to overflowing. And then as we partake of the bread, and we partake of the crushed fruit of the vine. That we would be reminded that our sufficiency is ultimately and not in what we do or even who we are. It is who you are and what you have done for us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.